0: KPBS On Demand is supported by Under the Sun Foundation, presenting the Candlewood Arts Festival in Borrego Springs, featuring temporary public art projects that engage community and place. March 23rd, more at candlewoodartsfestival.org.
1: Good morning, I'm Debbie Cruz. It's Wednesday, January 25th. How the recent mass shootings in the state affect public health more on that next. But first, let's do the headlines. With COVID cases dropping in number and severity, San Diego City officials are ready to end the local state of emergency next month. The San Diego City Council also took the first step yesterday to end the city's vaccination mandate for employees. San Diego Police Officers Association President Jared Wilson said, 130 officers left
0: SDPD because of the mandate. At a time when officers are overworked, they're underpaid, and they're responding from subpar police facilities, we really could not sustain that loss.
1: He says nearly 40% of officers were given religious or medical exceptions from the mandate. A strike by the janitors who cleaned the San Diego County Administration Building has been averted for now. The janitors are demanding better treatment from the company that's contracted by the county to clean the building, NOVA. Yesterday, County Supervisor Nora Vargas got the janitors to agree to give the county two weeks to work with NOVA.
0: You have my commitment. No one, no one in the county of San Diego who works here is allowed to be treated inhumanely and disrespected, not on my watch.
1: NOVA said they cannot comment, but are working with the county. Funding for young adults transitioning out of foster care is being increased. Nearly $3 million in state funding will go towards housing and wraparound services for those 18 to 25. With the increased funds, each participating young adult will get more than $3,700 a month. That's $900 more than the current rate. Every year, about 100 youth leave foster care in San Diego and rely on the program. From KPBS, you're listening to San Diego News Now. Stay with me for more of the local news you need.
2: Hi, I'm Bill Hohen. And I'm Ted Hohen. Over the past 50 years, our family has brought many world-class dealerships to Carlsbad, including Mercedes-Benz, Porsche, Audi, Honda, Acura, Jaguar, and Land Rover,
1: There have been three mass shootings in California since Saturday. Dr. Michael Rodriguez and Dr. Nines Ponce are with the Fielding School of Public Health at UCLA. They join KPBS's Jade Heidman to talk about the impacts of gun violence on public health. Here's their conversation.
0: Dr. Ponce, I'll start with you. Can you explain the framing of this issue as a public health crisis for someone who might not think of it that way? In public health,
3: we look at root causes, and when a tragedy such as what's happened just in the course of the past three days it's, it's about, well, why did this happen? And you keep going back, like, why? Like, why is it because of unmet mental health need? Why? Because there's job loss. Why? Because there was no access to healthcare. Why? Because there was no access to counseling. So once we start doing that, then we start looking at ways that public health programs and policies can address the pains that our population are feeling that get to this point of resorting to guns. And then of course, then there's all the whys of making sure that people are safe and looking at the policies on gun storage, gun access, gun safety.
0: And to follow up on that, you know, there's no dollar amount you can put on lives lost and impacted by gun violence. But what are the costs of gun violence from an economic perspective?
3: It's about all the losses of economic jobs. It's the losses of the mental health care services that we have to provide to um, the bystanders, to the families that are left behind. It's the losses of our public safety, of for our police, for the criminal justice system. So there's a lot of societal losses that occur because of gun violence.
0: And Dr. Rodriguez, you know, we're talking about this because there's been a mass shooting and that is so public, but in many cases, gun violence is committed in private. Talk about the more hidden aspects of this as a public health concern.
4: Indeed, that's a good point because we're focused on these large numbers of deaths that happen. But in fact, there's a death toll of over 100 people every day in the United States who are killed related to guns. Uh, And we also know that guns in the home put people at greater risk for injury and death. In fact, while we have many folks who feel that guns may make them safer, we know by research that it increases the risk of homicide and suicide in the home. So in fact, guns make people more, more, more unsafe and at risk for death.
0: And I want to ask you both. So, how does framing gun violence as a public health issue change how we think about solving or at least better addressing the problem?
4: As Dr. Bonse pointed out, the public health approach is is particularly important because we address prevention. And the historical approach to looking at gun violence as a criminal justice issue is dealing with the issue after it has happened. And, and and so that's the particular advantage. One of the advantages of the public health approach is that we look at what are the different factors, the factors that Dr. Ponce pointed out that contribute to the gun violence happening in the first place, and then being able to address those factors, prevent them from being there, and as a result, prevent the gun violence from happening.
3: And I'd like to add that public health approach is about surveillance. It's about identifying risk factors for the whole population and the segments of the population, and then with this information, it's identifying programs and policies. So the data piece is really important, and the public health approach, which Center for Health Policy Research has done, is to ask questions about fears of victimization, is to ask questions in population representative surveys on um, the firearms that are stored in homes and whether they're locked and kept safe, you know, is about um, having access to a gun within two days. And so by understanding this and understanding also on on segments of the population that may be most affected, then that helps frame the policies
0: that need to to happen. Dr. Ponce, do you think there is such a thing as safe gun ownership?
3: Yeah, that's a tough question. <laughs> There, I can say, though, that um, the availability really increases the risk, and one in six Californians, this is our recent survey, live with a gun at home. And then it's much higher for some other segments of the population, uh, veterans, adults living in rural areas, young adults. So the availability is that opportunity, you know, for violence to happen. In terms of safety, there are California um, gun owners that use a cable lock. Three and four use a cable lock or lock container. One in five use a trigger lock, um, and but only like one in thirteen use both a trigger lock and a cable lock or a locked container. So there are Californians there that are um, are. Uh, practicing gun safety storage but but that availability you know doesn't get the risk at zero
4: and indeed if 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 safe means no risk for death then there is no safety with guns there's just safer things that we can do to reduce the risk
1: That was Dr. Michael Rodriguez and Dr. Nínez Ponce speaking with KPBS Midday Edition host, Jade Heineman. If you or someone you know may be considering suicide, you can contact the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 800-273-8255. Locally, the county released its first annual report on gun violence yesterday. It showed that both homicides from gun violence and the number of ghost guns seized are down. The county says the results show that its gun policies are working. KPBS's Alexander Wynn has the details. Tuesday's report is part of a broader data-driven policymaking effort
5: in the county. The Board of Supervisors wants to know if the county's gun policies are working and where they could be improved. So far, they seem to be working, says Supervisor Nathan Fletcher.
3: The Sheriff's uh, Gun Violence Prevention Pilot Program, getting guns out of the hands of folks who legally can't own them, is showing progress. The number of ghost guns has been exploding year over year. Last year, it started to decline. And the number of deaths in San Diego County by firearm declined ever slightly after a couple years of increase.
5: Last year, the board passed an updated ordinance to ban ghost guns in the county and to lock up firearms when not in use. The board also voted to look at options to sue gun manufacturers for deaths caused by their firearms. Alexander Nguyen, KPPS News.
1: This next story is thanks to a tip from a KPBS audience member. They discovered that the state of California shared links from an anti-immigrant hate group on its Department of Social Services website. KPBS reporter Gustavo Solis looked into it.
5: The state agency's webpage is supposed to be a one-stop shop for information about California's refugee programs and other resources for migrants. But until Monday, one of the links took visitors to the Center for Immigration Studies. This is an organization that the Southern Poverty Law Center has identified as an anti-immigrant hate group. Caleb Kiefer is a senior research analyst with the Southern Poverty Law Center. They are one of the leading anti-immigrant think tanks in the country at the moment. Kiefer says he understands how somebody could mistake CIS for a legitimate source. The organization presents itself as an impartial think tank, but he says there are real consequences to sharing this kind of information. Um, when we do give like, groups like, like CIS a platform, we can't just further kind of mainstream this anti-immigrant, nativist, and xenophobic rhetoric. The Social Services Department removed the links as soon as KPBS asked about them. But the agency has yet to answer questions about how long the links have been there and how they got there in the first place. KPBS plugged the website's address into a popular internet archive. It showed that the link to CIS had been there since at least 2017. Gustavo Solis, KPBS News.
1: Coming up, a play about Leonardo da Vinci is now on stage in San Diego, and the playwright gives us the inside scoop. We'll have that story and more after the break. Students at San Diego City College will now have the chance to earn a four-year degree for the first time in the school's history. A state board has approved City College's full bachelor's degree in cyber defense and analysis. Classes are expected to begin in August next year. David Kenimer is an associate professor of computer information systems at City College.
5: This is extremely significant for California, for social justice, for equity, for students who would, you know, never even have the opportunity to get into a traditional university. Now they do.
1: Completion of the cyber defense degree could lead to a high paying career as a security analyst in the field, making over $100,000 a year. Leonardo da Vinci may be better known for painting the Mona Lisa than for writing thousands of pages of journal entries. But playwright Mary Zimmerman was so intrigued by his writing that she took his words and crafted the notebooks of Leonardo da Vinci in 1993. She's now bringing the play to the old globe. KPBS arts reporter Beth Accomando spoke with Zimmerman about her decades-long fascination with one of the greatest thinkers of all time. The next time you marvel at the light in the evening, or
6: pause to think about how the world works, or just contemplate the daily miracles nature serves up, that's the Leonardo in you.
7: He never got bored of the world. When we're children, we're full of questions. Everything's amazing. And then as we get older, we just sort of give up. And we lose our amazement at the world and trying to figure it out. But he never did. He just never got habituated to the world. And I think that we all carry that potential in us.
6: Mary Zimmerman has been carrying an obsession with Leonardo da Vinci for decades, ever since she discovered his notebooks at the library. As a Renaissance man of the highest order, Leonardo was a painter, engineer, scientist, sculptor, and architect. His writings also reveal that he lived in a perpetual state of curiosity and amazement, even at the most ordinary things.
7: That his drive to understand the world the kind of metaphor of science, the, the science frame of how we look at the world, uh, like the world is machine, and describing how that machine works, that was not enough. He also had to use artistic means, which you, know, you sit and stare at something for hours and hours until you can figure out how to exactly replicate it and come to know it through that.
3: It is a necessary thing for the painter in order to be able to fashion the limbs correctly To know the anatomy of the sinews, bones, muscles, and tendons.
6: Zimmerman wanted to know Leonardo, so she began culling through the thousands of pages of material from his notebooks. Then she crafted a play using his own words. The play evolved into the notebooks of Leonardo da Vinci, which she's now directing at the Old Globe Theater.
5: Once, as a
3: boy,
5: I wandered in the hills of my home.
6: Leonardo never intended these writings to be published. He wrote for himself. So sometimes it's notes for future projects or what to cook that night. But Zimmerman was captivated.
7: And I felt like there was metaphoric resonance I could sort of tease out of it that felt dramatic. And then also just the range. On a given page, there'll be a math formula, a drawing of a church or an angel, a sort of to-do list, some doodling. The page is crowded with so much
6: She also found that after some lengthy scientific description, he might enter a solitary line on the next page, like...
7: And if there is no love, what then? Little hints of the personality come through in this fragmentary and therefore all the more kind of compelling way.
6: The play unfolds through a series of vignettes that are unrelated yet subtly build a narrative about Leonardo's life. It also reminds us why 500 years after his death, we remain fascinated and inspired by him.
4: After a time, there arose in me two things, fear and desire.
7: Often the vignettes sort of illustrate what he's talking about, but sometimes I confess they counter-illustrate or sort of show how somewhat ironically in his zeal to be scientific, he misses the point
6: as when he contemplates weeping and laughing.
7: And he says, in laughing and weeping, there is no difference except the way the eyebrows are knit together. <laughs> you know, like he describes it in purely physical, painterly terms. But of course, that misses entirely the point that laughing and weeping are very different for the person who is doing them.
6: Zimmerman's playfulness with her material is also evident in a section illustrating Leonardo's observations on weight.
7: Weight is a
3: power created by means of force.
7: We have a kind of duet, the pas de deux, in a way, between a man and a woman, in which surprisingly, the smaller of the two keeps lifting the larger of the two to make kind of demonstrations. Casting that section is really tough because you want to find a high ratio of difference between the two parties, one being much smaller than the other, so that it has a kind of impressiveness to it.
6: Ten actors play Leonardo, with each representing a different aspect of him and all interacting with each other.
7: But it also hints at a kind of multiplicity of the personality, which we all have. I mean, I think we all are full of contradiction, have many people living inside of us in a way. But that it it kind of helps convey the scope of him, I think.
6: That scope is also reflected in the production design, which sets the action in a large room filled from floor to high ceiling with drawers.
7: And those drawers are everything to me, like they're kind of a plausible imagination of that he might have had such things, but also it is more the compartments in his head. And each of those drawers has a little label. And all of the props, all the whole play comes from those drawers.
6: And Zimmerman wants to make what's inside those drawers accessible to everyone so that more people might appreciate that Leonardo's genius was not so much about having a huge brain and being a brilliant thinker, but rather that he was always awake and open to what the world had to offer, even if it seemed ordinary. Beth Accomando, KPBS News.
1: The Notebooks of Leonardo da Vinci runs through February 26 at the Old Globe's main stage. That's it for the podcast today. As always, you can find more San Diego news online at kpbs.org. I'm Debbie Cruz. Thanks for listening and have a great Wednesday.